Hello and welcome to the podcast at Chesbro Baptist Church. We're continuing our series on the life of David and we're using the Psalms to go through the life of David. And of course, the title of the series is Encouraged in the Lord. And the title of the message this morning is Embarrassed. So please enjoy. Psalms number 34 this morning and while you're turning there I'll just let you know uh, last week we started uh, actually a couple weeks ago uh, we started a series called encouraged encouraged and this is a continuation of that if you have your places in Psalms 34 one last time I'm going to invite you to stand in respect and reverence to the word of God we're going to read the first 10 verses of Psalms number 34 The Bible says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked unto him and were lightened and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamped round about them that fear him and delivereth them. O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. O fear the Lord, ye saints, for there is no want to them that fear him. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger. But they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. Let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, I pray that you bless our message today. Lord, I pray that you be with us in here. and May we become closer to you. Thank you for today. Thank you for Mother's Day. Thank you for being Sunday. That we woke up this morning and we got to come to church. Thank you for all you've done for us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You go ahead, be seated, and we're just going to continue and finish reading Psalms 34. So if you'll look back with me at verse number 11, we'll finish out the psalm. Come ye children, hearken unto me, I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What is man, uh, what man is he that desireth life and loveth many days, that he may see good? Keep thy tongue from evil and thy lips from speaking guile. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears are open unto their cry. The face of the Lord is against them that do evil, to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry, and the Lord heareth and delivereth them out of their troubles. The Lord is nigh to them that are of a broken heart, and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. He keepeth all of his bones, not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked, and they that hate the righteous shall be desolate. The Lord redeemeth the soul of his servants, and none of them that trust in him shall be desolate. The title of the message this morning is Embarrassed embarrassed now what we're doing in this series is we're taking a lot of these some of you are new so i'll let you know a lot of these psalms in the book of psalms uh we don't know they don't have a superscript which means we don't know at what point in the life of david he wrote them 
However, many of these psalms in the Bible, they do have a superscript, meaning we know the the time in David's life that he wrote the psalm. We know the circumstances behind which David wrote the psalm. And through this series, we're going to go through the book of Psalms and we're going to pick these psalms out that have a superscript that tell us where in the life of David they take place. We're going to try and put them in chronological order and we're going to go through them. And in this series, we're going to show ourselves how to be encouraged in the Lord. Now, this psalm right here is Psalm 34. Uh, We see at this point in David's life that fear had created a firestorm in David's life. Fear had created a firestorm and now uh, fear has led David to a series of bad decisions. These series of bad decisions have, uh, have, uh, have landed him uh, in the hometown of, of Goliath, which was Gath, in front of King Achish, who wants nothing more than to take David's head. So these series of bad decisions that David made out of fear have landed him in Goliath's hometown. And the king of that city wants to, take, wants to behead David, wants to kill him. So now we're going to see that the situation goes from from bad to very, very strange. Let me read for you 1 Samuel 21, verses 12 and 13. And David laid up these words in his heart and was sore afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. And he changed his behavior before them and feigned himself mad in their hands and scrabbled on the doors of the gate and let his spittle fall down upon his beard. Basically, David went one flew over the cuckoo's nest in this, in this verse here. And, uh, you know, David, David began to write gibberish on the walls. And anytime you watch a movie and somebody wants to say that somebody's insane or they're crazy, you see them writing on the wall and a guy will be in a prison cell and he'll have writing all the way up around the wall around him. So David's writing on the wall trying to show this king that he's crazy and then he's foaming at the mouth he's frothing at the mouth and needless to say David was really making a a spectacle of himself he was trying to get their pity and he was trying to get their contempt because David thought in his head man if if I can get them to feel sorry for me then they won't be afraid of me Uh, they won't be afraid if if they think that because of what King Saul has done to me now I've been driven mad and I'm not a fret then they won't fear what I might can do to them so this was David's game plan but he's really making a fool of himself he's really embarrassing himself he's really humiliating himself he's really he's calling causing himself a lot of shame So what happens in 1 Samuel 21, 14 and 15? Then said Achish unto his servants, Lo, ye see, the man is mad. Wherefore then have ye brought him to me? Have I need of madmen? Ye have brought this fellow to play the madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? He looks, you know, Achish looks in his soldiers like, Why'd you bring this guy to me? I mean, what's he going to work for me? He can't do anything for me. If I let him go, am I going to be afraid of him? What reason do I have to fear a madman, a crazy guy? Man, you know, it's funny how in one chapter in the Bible, in one chapter, David managed to go, he manages to go from champion to cheater. He manages to go from a military hero to a madman. 
And you know, that's a stark reminder to me and you that any one of us can fall. None of us are above falling. But you see, when, when David ran out of priests to lie to, when David ran out of sanctuaries to run to, the Bible says that he went to a cave called Adullam. Now, he's going to spend a lot of time in this cave called Adullam. He's going to spend a lot of time there. He's going to become very familiar with this cave in the near future. David ran to, he, 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 what he did worked. He got away from the king. Of course, he was put in that situation because he lied in the first place. And then he got away from this king and he ran to this cave called Adullam. And at this cave, the Bible says his friends and his, his family came to him. And also what came to him, what 1 Samuel 22, 2, 2 says, everyone that was in distress, these are the people that came to David. Everyone that was in distress, everyone that was in debt, everyone that was discontented, gathered themselves unto him and he became captain over them and there were with him about 400 men talk about an island of misfit toys and uh, you know needless to you know contrary to popular belief this was not the the first baptist church in recorded history you know the, these are just some misfits that had come around and they come uh, they couldn't go anywhere else and who did they turn to they turned to david now, I do want you to notice that David is in this cave, and David is going to frequent caves many times in his, in his life and in his kingdom and in his, uh, in his rule. And, and you know, uh, uh, just like Moses before him and just like Elijah after him, God has some lessons to be taught inside of a cave. And inside of this cave, when David is ran and, and David is lied and David has put himself in a bad situation and David has humiliated himself and David has embarrassed himself and David has a, is ashamed and he's brought shame into his name, he runs into this cave and in this cave, God, God teaches David some valuable, valuable lessons. Now, before long, as David went in this cave, he went in here, he was ashamed, he was embarrassed. But before long, the cave walls began, began to resound with the sound of a new song that God had given him. God had given him a new song, and with this song that God gave David, a shamed man would encourage himself in the Lord. You know, we're human beings and we have a talent. You know what our talent is? We are really good at putting our foot into our mouths. We are really good at that. We are really good at, at getting into some humiliating situations. We are really good at embarrassing ourselves. And we all can think of a time, a time in our life when we really, really embarrassed ourselves and we almost try not to think about it because we embarrassed ourselves so bad that when we think about it, we shiver with embarrassment. So we try to just kind of block that out of our head. But, you know, what do you do when that happens? What do you do when your action causes you embarrassment? What do you do when your actions cause you humiliation? When you feel like you've got to stick your head in the sand and you don't want to come out? What happens then? What happens? What do you do? What do you do after you make yourself to look like the madman? What do you do? I want you to see that David, instead of wallowing in self-pity, 
the first thing David does is he sings a song to exalt God. If you've embarrassed yourself, if you're humiliated, if you're ashamed of what you've done, step number one, sing a song exalting God. Sing a song of praising God. That is step number one. So the first thing he did is he, he sings a, a mighty hymn exalting God. And then in verse number 11, he gathers children together and he teaches them the fear of the Lord. And in Psalms 34, that's what you get. You get a song and you get a sermon. And instead of, of focusing on his shame... He puts the focus back and centers the focus back on his Savior. And you see, when, when he got into this, he got into this mess because he took his eyes off of Jesus. And now in order for him to get out of this mess, he knows he has to take his eyes off of himself. So here the first thing he did is, is he sang this song. And I want to ask David, what kind of song do you sing when you're ashamed? David, what kind of song do you sing when you've humiliated yourself and you're embarrassed? What kind of song do you sing? Well, let's look back at the psalm in verse number one. It says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall, be, shall, shall continually be in my mouth. Now, I'm going to tell you, to be honest, the very last thing that we want to do when we're embarrassed, the very last thing we want to do is exalt the Lord. That's the last thing we want to do. I mean, after we've defended ourselves and after we've justified our actions and after we've plotted our revenge, you know, who has time to magnify the Lord? Who has time to magnify the Lord after that? But, you know, all times means all times. And I'm here to tell you today that he is worthy of our worship even when we've created a disaster, even when we've created a disaster, he is worthy of our worship. You know, we've said in the past that David's self-centeredness created this mess. But look what verse 2 says. It says, my soul shall make her boast in the Lord. It's one thing when boasting on God comes from our tongue. It's another thing when boasting on God comes from our soul. When boasting on God, when the source of boasting on God is our soul, that shows God that it is authentic, and that shows God that our boasting on Him is genuine. And, you know, soon it didn't take very long for all the misfits in the cave to join together with David. And they all joined him in, in exalting the one who, it says in verse number four, delivered me from all my fears. Now, when David says those words, delivered me from all my fears, and what he's pointing out that the reason why he pretended to be a madman is he did that out of fear. The Bible says in the Proverbs 29, 25, the fear of man is a snare. So David was afraid of King Achish, and that's what he did what he did. But you know what his fear reduced him to? His, David's fear reduced him to a slobbering idiot, because that's what fear will do to us. Fear will reduce us to a slobbering idiot. Fear of man can reduce you. But the Proverbs 29, 25 goes on. But whoso puts his trust in the Lord shall 
be safe. And David's just now realizing this. And so he's in this cave and he's singing this song and these 400 men, they join him in this song exalting God. Instead of looking at their own difficulties, they look at God. And instead of looking at their own distresses, they look at the Lord. And instead of looking at their own debt, they look at the Savior. So what, ha what happens next? Verse number five. They looked unto him and were lightened. Their faces were not ashamed. Now instead of their faces being filled with dark shame, their faces are suddenly lightened. And the, peeping are, the people are gleaming and the, the, the people are glowing and they're overjoyed by the grace of God. So David testified in verse 6, The poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his trouble. The man who had slain tens of thousands was reduced to a miserable wretch. But you know what I'm glad for? I'm glad that God hears miserable wretches. Because he hears me. Because sometimes that's what I am. I'm a sinner. I am a miserable wretch. But praise God, he still hears miserable wretches. And you know, they got to sing and they were singing this song and they were so happy in that cave. It didn't take them long to realize that someone else was staying in that cave with them. Verse number seven, and the angel of the Lord encamped round about them that fear him and delivered them. They realized that God was camping out in that camp when they started exalting the Lord now, the phrase the angel in the Lord usually in the Old Testament refers to a human manifestation of the Son of God. I want you to see in this verse that he not only joined the camp, but he surrounded round about them. He took the most dangerous position. He would take the first hit. Now, in the New Testament, the book of Hebrews, in the book of Hebrews, were turned concerning angels that they're ministering spirits who have been sent forth to minister to those who are the heirs of salvation. You ever hear this phrase, guardian angel? People believe that they're the guardian angels, and I don't see a problem with that. And there's an opinion out there that each of us, we have this guardian angel that ministers to us who are the, who are the heirs of salvation and you know, if I do have a guardian angel, I'd like to talk to mine one day because I, you know, he's helped me. He's got me out of some, uh, some pretty, some pretty bad predicaments. And, you know, I can almost, some of you can probably testify that your guardian angel is probably black and blue by now. Uh, but, but you know, you know, and, and here David realizes this. In Psalms 34, we can almost hear David say, I've let him down. I've failed him. I've tried my own way, but he has never let me down. He has never failed me. Along the way, we learn some lessons. Verse number eight. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. He learned that the Lord is good. And that blessed is a man that trusteth in him. Verses 9 and 10. Oh, fear the Lord, ye saints, for there is no want to them that fear him. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. What does that mean? They that, they that seek, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. That means that 
if you fear the Lord, you're not going to want after things because God's already going to supply them for you. You're not going to want after things because God is going to provide. God is going to have his provision if you fear the Lord. After all, Philippians 4, 19, But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. He still cares for us even when we've managed to humiliate ourselves. He still cares for us even when we've created a disaster. He still cares for us even when we've made an utter mess out of things. He still cares for us. And he still provides for us. So that's the song. So now let's get to the sermon. The sermon is verses 11 through 22. And at this point in, in Cave Adullam, now it's Sunday school time. It's Sunday school time because in verse 11 he says, Come ye children, hearken unto me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. You see, David realized that to help, him, to help get him out of this problem he's in, he had to invest in others. That's what he realized. He realized that in order to take his mind off of his problems, in order to take his mind off of his embarrassment, in order to take his mind off the mess he'd made for himself, that he was to think about the needs of others. That's how, you, that's how that works. That's what you're supposed to do. So David gathered these children together and, and he was going to tell them how to, have a long, how to have a long life full of days that are full of the goodness of God. David looks at these children and says, Kids, the blessing's not going to come by lying to priests. The blessing's not going to come by running to pagan kings. The blessing is not going to come by pretending to be a madman. See, a person, I want you to know that a person operating out of fear is, is they're digging a pit. And the longer they're in fear, the deeper the pit is that they can fall into. So David stands up and David's got to stop this cycle. And so he decides to take them, his mind off of his own problems and put his mind on the needs of others and start investing in other people. And David stands up in class and he begins to tell these children the lessons he learned in Gath. The first he says, point number one, watch your tongue. Point number one, watch your tongue. Look at verse number 13. Keep thy tongue from evil and thy lips from speaking guile. Now, we all know that we should not use our tongues for evil. But David took it a step further. He took it a step further and he said, uh, Be sure not to use your tongue as a device, a device to deceive. That's what guile is. Guile is, is fraud and God, guile is deceit. And David could tell these kids firsthand what it was like to deceive a priest. David could tell these kids firsthand what it was like to deceive a king. And in David's experience, lies, they snowball out of control. And before you know it, it's, it's, a, runaway, it's a runaway avalanche and you've got no control over it. In fact, to be honest with you, a lot of times, 
that me and you embarrass ourselves is because we lie. Is because we're deceptive. We tell a lie and, and, and sometimes we lie and we think after we say the lie, we think inside our heads, why did I just lie? Why didn't I tell the truth? It wasn't going to hurt nothing. The truth wasn't going to hurt. But now that I've told this lie, I, I have to stick with it. I have to remember it and I have to tell it over and over and over and over again. And if I ever get caught, I'm going to get embarrassed and humiliated. And sometimes we're caught. We are embarrassed and we are humiliated. And we think, why don't I just tell the truth? One of the methods of lengthening life is to love the truth, to speak the truth, to avoid falsehood, to avoid deceit, to avoid slander. Notice, I want you to notice that this is more of a treatment of other people than it is a treatment of God. You can't lie to God, but you can't lie to other people. Man, if David would have taken this advice when dealing with people, he would have saved himself a lot of trouble. He would have saved himself a lot of heartache. And he'd have saved other people a lot of trouble and heartache too. The Bible says in Luke 6, 45, A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good. An evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. For the abundance of the heart his mouth speaketh. What does this verse mean? If I have a right relationship with God, then I will have a right relationship with man. If I do not have a right relationship with man, then I do not have a right relationship with God. They go hand in hand. I also want you to see the point in a person to which the fear of God manifests itself. Anytime you have a glass and you fill that glass with liquid, you put enough of it in there, eventually it's going to start coming out. If you fill your life with the fear of God, the first place that people are going to see the fear of God in you is the tongue. That's the first place the fear of God is going to manifest itself. People are going to know first and foremost whether you fear God or not by what comes out of your mouth. That's how they're going to know. I want you to see here in this verse that there are two types of people. Here's a type number one. Keep thy tongue from evil. You know, some people, they speak bad words in common conversation and they just don't think about it. They speak filth out of their mouth and it's nothing to them. It's, it's as easy as breathing. And the reason for that is, is because they've, for years, if they've filled their heart with filth and they filled it with so much filth over the years, it just can't help but, but bubble out without thinking. You know, I've spent most of my lives working in mechanic shops. I can testify to this, okay? They're, they just do it without thinking. They do not fear God. But then there's a second group of people here. It says, for, uh, we have, keep thy tongue from evil. That's the first one. Here's the second time. Thy lips from speaking guile. Now, this isn't someone speaking evil out of habit. This could, in fact, someone be speaking good but with malicious intent. 
This could be someone with sweet, honeyed words that'll, that'll be nice to you and they'll talk sweet to you and then all the while they're stabbing you in the back because they're trying to trick you and they're trying to deceive you. And I tell you, don't be that type of person either because that person as well does not have the fear of the Lord. So what's the second, what's the second lesson, David? What's the second point in this sermon in verse number 30, in Psalm 34? The second lesson is this. Watch your steps. Watch your steps. Verse, first part of verse number 14. Depart from evil and do good. Have you ever noticed that the government is funding commercials to tell people to be nice? You seen this government, the government is funding commercials. Tell be nice, everybody play nice, get along. God has been tossed out of our schools. God has been tossed out of our government. God has been tossed out of our courts. God has been tossed out of our living rooms. And now we have to tell people to be nice. Wasn't it better? When a teacher could stand up in a school and open the word of God and say the words, depart from evil and do good. Wasn't that a better time? Back then, we didn't have video, back then they didn't have video games or playgrounds or psychiatrists. They had the Bible. And it was enough. The Bible was enough. I want to tell you today, we live in an evil day. Depart from evil and let me there are all sorts of evil all around us. There, there's evil men and they keep evil company. There's evil things and evil words and evil works and appearance of all evil. And you know what the fear of God is? The fear of God is a hatred of those things which are evil, not an acceptance, not of a I'll look the other way. Uh, uh, the fear of God is a hatred of that which is evil. Evil. I will shun that which is evil. I will. I will decline that which is evil. Proverbs eight thirteen. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. What do you know? There's a Bible verse that says that. Proverbs eight thirteen. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride, and arrogancy, and the evil way and the forward mouth. Do I hate? We are to hate evil. But we're not only to hate evil, we are to do good. So we're to hate evil and we're to do good. What does it mean to do good? It means to actively perform the will of God from the heart. That is what to do good. Every time you have an opportunity to do good, you should do it. The him that knoweth to do good and don't do it, it's sin. Every time we should have an opportunity to do good, we should do it. I'm supposed to see evil... And walk the other way. Let me read for you 1 Peter 3.11. Listen to this. This is interesting. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. Man, that sounds familiar. That sounds like, like Peter's quoting David. That sounds like we just read Psalm 34.14 all over again. And you know, it, you know uh, right here it's interesting. It says to eschew evil. You know what eschew evil means? Eschew evil means to swerve out of the way. I'm supposed to do everything in my power to get out of the way, not just casually walk past. So I'm not only to avoid evil, I'm to do all the good I can. 
In fact, I'm to overcome evil with good. Depart evil and do good. Verse, and then point number three, be a peacemaker. Be a peacemaker. Then David said, seek peace and pursue it. Seek peace and pursue it. Romans 12, 18. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Let's think, talk about that verse for a second. If it be possible. If there's any way it can be done. If there's any way possible for you to seek peace. Seek it. Go after it. But you know, but then it says, if it be possible, that means sometimes it can't be done. Sometimes there's not a peaceful option. When somebody breaks in your house, peace isn't the option. That's, that's not the option. I got, I got uh, Mr. Smith and Mr. Wesson for that. Okay, so he's my peacemaker in that, in that situation. But you know what? Sometimes it can't be done. But to be honest, that's an extreme circumstance, a very extreme circumstance. And outside of extreme circumstances, we should always seek peace. We should always seek the peaceful option. We should always strive for peace. And if you're going to be a peacemaker, then doing good for others has to be your goal. Not doing evil to them and not even, uh, not even just being, you know, I don't care about them. Have a lackadaisical attitude. You are to look for ways to do good to other people. You know, if someone dislikes you, someone talks bad about you, your desire for peace should outweigh your desire for revenge. That's, that's hard for us to do as human beings. It's very hard for us to do. And this says, as much lieth in you. So this means I'm not only to seek peace from my, to give, do good and seek peace for myself, but I should also seek to appease the anger of others. The Bible says, you know, that, you know, sweet words turn away wrath. You know, that's what we should seek for. And we're to appease the anger of others. And I'm not supposed to begin a quarrel. I'm not supposed to pick a fight. You know, we, if we are to seek peace, and I understand that that doesn't always depend on us. Because other people might not want peace with us. Other people might want to, they might choose to persecute us. They might choose to oppose us. But I am not answerable for their assaults on me. I am only answerable for how I treat them. That is what I am responsible for. So it may not be possible to prevent them from injuring us. It may not be possible to prevent them from opposing us. But it is possible for me not to start a contention with them. It is possible for me not to pick a fight with them. So I'm not supposed to pick a fight. and I'm not supposed to prolong a fight once it's started. But, you know, there, there are some people, they're like, man, you know what? I'm not going to pick a fight with someone. Oh, but if somebody picks a fight with me, woohoo! I'm going to let them have it. And there are people that just live for that. Oh, just say something to me. Say something to me. Come on, come on, say something to me. There are people that live like that. But you know what? That's, that's not the way it should be. 
We had to avoid it whenever possible. Just a few days earlier, David was frothing at the mouth and he was on the verge of starting a war. And now he's telling these little boys and girls, hey, there's something more important than conquering Goliaths. There's something more important than that. God wants his children to chase after peace. Verse number 15. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and his ears are open under their cry. I want you to notice something that both of the Lord's eyes are open and both of his ears are open unto the righteous. So God is giving the righteous his full attention. He's watching and listening with his full attention to the righteous. But there's a flip side to that. There's a time when God will close his eyes. And there's a time when God will close his ears. That's in Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. But you know, to the righteous, to the peacemaker, hey, you know what? His, his ears is open to your cry. He will hear you. Verse number 19 starts out, Many are the afflictions of the righteous. I want you to tell you that God does not guarantee me and you immunity from trouble. God does not guarantee us immunity from trouble. God is not going to magically take away all of your problems. He's not going to do that. But verse 19 continues, but the Lord delivered him out of them all. Now, I don't care if you're righteous. I don't care if you're wicked. You're going to have problems. It doesn't matter. You ever heard it rains on the, on the just and the unjust? Hey, you know what? You're going to have problems. Sometimes the rain is good and sometimes the rain is bad. You are going, it doesn't matter, you're going to have problems. So you say, okay, well, if I'm going to have, if, it, if I'm going to have problems no matter what, if I'm going to have problems if I'm wicked, if I'm going to have problems if I'm righteous, then what's the point? Why be righteous if I'm going to have problems anyway? And here's the difference. The difference between the wicked and the righteous is the righteous God will deliver you. Yes, you're going to have problems. Yes, you're going to have afflictions. But if you're righteous, God will deliver you. If you fear the Lord, God will deliver you. But only if you fear the God, only fear the Lord. And you wake up every day and you say, God is watching everything I do. God is hearing everything I say. God goes with me everywhere I go. So maybe there's some things I don't need to do anymore because I fear God. Then he will deliver you. And right near the end of this chapter, right near the end of this psalm, I want you to see that David throws in a little Jesus. Verse number 20. He keepeth all of his bones and not one of them is broken. Now this is a prophecy concerning Christ and this is when, when Christ was being crucified and he was being crucified up there and Passover was coming and, and uh, they were trying to hasten the death of these, of these criminals 
trying to speed them along because they couldn't be up very much longer because Passover was about to begin. And so what they did is they took a, a, a stick or a bat or something and they broke the legs of both of the other thieves. And, uh, you know, when you're crucified, how you die is you die by suffocation. When you're nailed to that cross, when you're slumped down, you can't breathe. You have to push up to get a breath, but your feet are nailed to that cross. You're in intense, excruciating pain. And eventually your body can't take that much pain anymore and you, you have to let off the pressure. You have to slump back down. But when you slump down, you can't breathe. So when they break these legs of these thieves, they slump down and they suffocate. And then they go to break, break, the, break the legs of Christ. But then says someone says, stop. You can't do that. You don't have to do that. He's already dead. So they take the spear and they shove it into his side and blood and water gush out showing that Jesus actually died of a heart rupture. But you know, the reason for that is, is because the Bible says, John, you know what John called Jesus? Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. Jesus was our sacrificial lamb. You know, when somebody brought a lamb to, uh, brought, brought a lamb to be sacrificed, and of course it had to look good, and man, it couldn't have a blemish, but really one of the only major requirements, one of the only major deal breakers was if it had a broken bone. If it ever had had a broken bone, that was a deal breaker. That lamb could not be used as a sacrifice. When we are, re when, when we are redeemed, Peter said, we're redeemed not with corruptible things such as silver and gold from a former empty life, but with the precious blood of Jesus who was slain as a lamb without spot or blemish. Sacrificial lamb that was offered for sacrifice. It could not have any bones broken. So this is a prophecy of Jesus Christ right here at the end of this psalm. And when you're talking about being a peacemaker, what better example to cite than the one who will ultimately bring peace to all? What a tremendous lesson in this psalm. What do we learn here? We, we learn that when we, are, when we embarrass ourselves and we humiliate ourselves, we need to follow the steps of David. First thing we do is we need to lift our voice up in song and magnify the name of God. But then we need to head over to the church and we need to invest our lives in other people. And we need to put uh, in before long and when we teach others and our priorities will change because the needs of others will become so important that we won't worry about our problems anymore. Everybody should have a ministry. Everybody should have a ministry. Everybody. Not just the preacher. Not just the deacons. Everybody should have a ministry. You should have something in your life where you can minister to other people. 
Everybody should have a ministry. I don't care if it's ministering to the kids. I don't care if it's ministering to the teenagers. I don't care if it's ministering to other men and women. I don't care what it is. Everybody should have a ministry because that's how you encourage yourself. That's how you do it. Man, when you're discouraged, the best thing you can do to encourage yourself is live for God. The best thing you can do to encourage yourself is to lead somebody to the Lord, to teach somebody the Bible. I'm not the only one that's supposed to teach the Bible in here. We're all to do that. That is a responsibility we all have. We all have to have a ministry. What is your ministry? What are you doing for God's service? Bless God, I am so glad you came to church today. I am so glad you're here. I'm so glad you're sitting in this church and you came to hear the word of God be preached. Praise God for that. But don't just go to work and come to church and let that be all you do. You are missing out on something if you don't serve God. You are missing out on it. Want to be encouraged? Invest in somebody. Teach someone the Bible. Go back here and take this open teacher position we have in children's church. Come with me on a, on a, on a youth activity as we teach these teenagers. Man, do something. Figure something out. Want to be encouraged? Invest in other people. One day there was a chaplain. His name was Dyson Haig. And Dyson Haig went into a hospital ward at a hospital. And inside of this hospital, these soldiers were dying. These soldiers were drawing their last breath. The chaplain Haig went into this one soldier and talked to him. And he was trying to help this soldier who was about to pass away. Soldier looked at, at Brother Haig and said, Brother Haig, I need you to do me a favor. I need you to write a letter to my Sunday school teacher. I want you to let her know that I'm going to die a Christian because of her. So that's what Chaplain Haig did. He wrote that letter and he sent that letter and three weeks later he got a reply. That Sunday school teacher wrote him back. And here's what her letter said. Just a month ago, I resigned my class of young men, which I had been teaching for years, for I felt my teaching was getting nowhere. Then came your letter, telling me how my teaching had helped win this boy to Christ. I just asked for my class back. May God have mercy on me. Now is a good time to praise God. Now is a good time to invest in other people because after all, that is how we encourage ourselves in the Lord.